Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. We are going to be going through 1 Corinthians today, chapter 10, verses one through 13. And we have a whole lot to cover today, so I apologize if it sounds like I'm rushing. Um, But I'll also have a slide available so that you can keep along with all the scriptures. You can jump to the next scripture before I get there. Now, I'm really excited to go through this text with you guys because it requires us to thoroughly explore many of the Old Testament stories that we know and we love, but we'll get to see it from a different perspective today. So like, you know, when we normally read these Old Testament stories, we're reading it as a narrative directly then and there. But today we're going to be reading it similarly to the way the Corinthians would look back at this text. So I'm really excited to take you guys on this journey. So quite often, we, we read about these historical events that took place in the Bible, and, uh, and we tend to be envious of the way God revealed Himself in such clear and obvious ways back in those days. Uh, and we, are often, um, we often wish that He would present Himself to us in the same manner that He once did. God walked with Adam and Eve Um, in the garden, and he spoke to them directly. He appeared and ate with Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he wrestled with Jacob and then changed his name to Israel. How amazing would it be to have these kinds of interactions with the creator of the universe? And we often think that it would be easier to be a Christian if if God would just speak to us in, in that way like the way it was back whenever it was black and white. You either knew you were on God's good side or you knew you were on His bad side. And if you were mostly obedient, He made you a father of many nations or He saved you and your family from a flood or He delivered you from slavery or He protected you from lions or a fiery furnace and you were considered blessed. But if you were mostly disobedient, He would just send brimstone down from heaven or open up the earth to swallow you up, or maybe he would even just have a big fish eat you to get you on the right path. And really, when we think of it this way, could anyone argue with that, with with those kinds of, of events that take place? And today, could anyone deny God if we, if, we were witnessed, if we were witnessing those things today? There'd probably be no liberals left, so there's that. But surely, if the Lord revealed Himself today in the same manner as He once did, no one would deny Him, right? Everyone would see it for themselves and they would, they would believe. They would have to. And what a blessing it would be to be a child of God and be able to walk with Him or sit down and eat with Him. Now, 
I'm painting a picture this morning that has a little bit more fiction in it than it does reality, at least until the revelation is completed. Once it's completed, then we will spend every moment worshiping our Lord. So you see, it never really mattered how clearly the Lord revealed Himself throughout time um, because the people still failed. They still fell short of the glory of God. They saw Him and they witnessed Him and they experienced Him in a way that we can not even imagine. Yet they still failed. They turned their backs on Him and they even killed Him. And that's exactly what we see repeated time and time again throughout the Old Testament as well as the New. So having miraculous encounters with the one true God of the universe is no doubt an incredible blessing. But when it comes to these blessings, there are also dangers that we must be very aware of. Which brings us to our text today. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, just a little refresher, a couple months ago, in chapter 8, we learned that although Christians have freedoms to do or participate in anything that's not sinful or um, morally wrong, we must still consider how our liberty could affect a brother or sister in Christ. And in chapter 9, Paul teaches as an example himself of how he has limited his own abilities and or his own liberties and even modified his lifestyle so that it would make his evangelism more effective of course being scripturally permissive so it's important to understand that you'll often see continued thoughts or points that run through multiple chapters and that's what we're seeing here as well So again, chapter 8, what does your liberties do to those Christians around you? Or chapter 9, Paul is saying, look at me, because this is how I have limited my abilities and chapter 10, or my liberties. And chapter 10 teaches us one more thing that's added to that point. So let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, and see what Paul is adding here. Verse 1, 4. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. So when for is, or or therefore is used, it's always continuing that same point or thought, just adding to it. Let's continue. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down, to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. 
Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and, and they were written down for our instruction whom the, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, the ability to hear your Holy Spirit and guide us through your word today. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have to say. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, obviously, in this text, there are a lot of Old Testament references. And in order for us to know and understand exactly what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we need to look at each of these references individually. So, we'll start at verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So our first reference is the cloud. So here's that slide that gives you all of the text, the, the, the scripture for today. Um, so once we get through one, you just jump to that next one. Now, keep your thumb here in 1 Corinthians, though, because we'll be flipping back and forth pretty frequently throughout the study this morning. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 13, and we'll be starting in verse 17. But first, let's talk about this generation of Israel, what they have witnessed up until this point. Okay, so after being enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, God sent his messenger Moses to proclaim, let my people go. And what followed were 10 plagues brought upon Egypt alone. For seven days, the Nile was turned to blood, the fish died, the river came, became foul, and even the water in their pools and buckets turned to blood. They would dig near the, near the river and only find that blood was filling their holes. However, God's people, Israel, was unaffected. Frogs filled the city from the streets to the homes of every Egyptian, the frogs were in their beds, in their food, and in their water that just had become clean of blood. Once the frogs died, they piled them up in the streets and marketplaces, and they filled the city with the stench of rot. Yet God's people were unaffected. The dust from the land became gnats and swarmed both man and beast, yet God's people were unaffected. Swarms of flies came after the gnats and made the land desolate and unfruitful. All Egyptian livestock was found dead. The Egyptian people were plagued with sores and boils on their bodies. Hail rained down so large that if anyone or anything was outside when it came down, it was killed. That same hail even shattered every crop and every tree in the land. Locusts came and destroyed everything that the Egyptians had left. And darkness 
came over Egypt for three days. It was so dark that people couldn't even leave their homes. And it's described as a thick blackness that even quenched the flame, the light from a flame. And finally, the Lord struck death onto every Egyptian firstborn. And there was a great cry throughout all of Egypt that next morning. And yet God's people stood unaffected. You see, Israel was blessed beyond belief, even at this time right now, because they were loved by the one and only true God, the God of Israel. Which brings us to this Exodus 13, verse 7 through 22. Now when the Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Verse 20, Then they set out from Sakoth and camped in Etham, and on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light and they might travel that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night before, from before the people. So here's our first reference to the cloud. They were, they were under the cloud, meaning they were being led by the Lord Himself, who was revealed to them as a cloud by day and fire by night. The Israelites witnessed these things happening. There's no denying, right? Well, let's read a little bit further down. We're on Exodus 14, in Exodus 14 now, starting in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a, by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down in the army, uh, on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. Verse 25, He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. 
But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the right or from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power of the Lord, which, had, which he had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. What a miraculous sight to behold. So let's, let's recap. Israel had witnessed all ten plagues and were brought down and, and brought, that were brought down upon Egypt by the Lord. They witnessed the pillar of smoke or cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. They witnessed the Red Sea parting in half and they literally walked on dry land to the other side, which was about 10 miles. Not one of them perished, but they witnessed the sea crashing down on their enemies, killing every last one of them. After witnessing such events, could there be any doubt that Yahweh was for them? Let's get back to 1 Corinthians and look at, uh, look at chapter 10 again. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, don't let this trip you up because it's, it's a really simple concept. We understand baptism as the public symbolic act of submission to Christ. And, uh, and as he died and rose again, we are then fully immersed in water and we are raised again to walk a brand new life. And baptism isn't what saves you. We know that. But it's simply just a symbol of your submission to the Lord. But this word baptized in this text, it only means immersed. So not the act that a Christian would do once they become a, a new believer, but just an immersion. So Israel was immersed under the authority of Moses and Moses under the authority of the cloud and the power of the splitting of the Red Sea. So they submitted to Moses' leadership and as he was appointed by God. And the point is, they were, again, blessed in unimaginable ways. But the blessings didn't just stop there. Verse 3 and 4a in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, we're not only talking about blessings of freedom, and guidance and security from the Lord, but the, He also blessed them with provisions as well in the form of heavenly food and water. So let's look at chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16, verse 8 through 15. Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against Him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumblings. It came about, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared 
in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So when... When Israel was out in the wilderness and they became hungry, the Lord provided quail in the evening and bread or manna, as we know it, in the morning. This was the spiritual food that Paul was talking about. And just another miraculous blessing that Israel was a witness of. And whenever they became thirsty, the Lord provided spiritual drink as well. Let's look at Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, why, do you, why have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take your hand, take your hand and in hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and, the, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Again, another miraculous blessing that's witnessed by Israel water flowing from a rock in the middle of the desert. Now, this was not the first time that Israel had grumbled, mind you. Um, they, uh, they were overly dramatic most of the time and, and very ungrateful, as, as many of you know. But there's a reason why Paul has reminded the Corinthians about Israel's journey to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. So let's get back to 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 4b, and, uh, and we'll see where, where it takes us. This is one of my favorite parts of this entire pericope, actually. Verse 4b, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So not only did Moses strike the rock and water began, uh, began flowing out of it, but the rock then followed them throughout the desert. But guess what? It wasn't just a rock or a boulder. It was a spiritual rock that was Christ. And Christ was not only providing them with physical water, but 
provided them with spiritual living water that they could look forward to for his future coming. In Jeremiah, the Lord referred to himself as the fountain of living water. The Old Testament prophets proclaim that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. This is Jesus Christ himself that they're speaking of. And Jacob's, at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman, um, to the Samaritan woman, Jesus proclaimed, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up of eternal life. There are so many parallels here, it's uncanny. And and it's, it's, it's amazing to think of as Jesus was walking with his disciples and he began teaching them where he was in the Old Testament scriptures, you know that this was one of those times where he brought himself up. He was there. He was the provision. You see, the Lord was preparing Israel to trust in him for all of their needs. We know that Abraham, Abraham did. and We know that Jacob did, and and Israel being lost to slavery for 400 years, they didn't have the guidance and the leadership that they once did from from the men in in their groups. So he's preparing the Israelites to trust him for both physical and spiritual needs. Now let's continue on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, the Greek word for laid low is actually better translated as stricken down or spread thin. But these translations, even they seem to be an understatement because literally millions of of the people of Israel died in the wilderness due to their lack of self-control and their indulgence in fleshly desires. And their deaths were noted as punishments from the Lord. In fact, God only allowed two men to enter into the promised land. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, not even Moses or Aaron, were qualified to enter and receive that blessing. Out of two million, only two made it. Talk about a narrow gate. Real narrow. Now there are a lot of parallels also between Israel's promised land and our promised land, which is, uh, as believers of Christ, um, which is this, this new heaven and new earth. But we also see Paul addressing it here from here on out that, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. <laughs> so remember our, our, our text from a few weeks ago that Pastor Mike preached on. Paul's final point of that chapter, chapter 9, was that he makes his body his slave so that, he, so that after he preaches, he himself would not be disqualified. And isn't it interesting that the next verses, after he makes that statement, he draws parallels from Israel's disqualifications, maybe even Moses's 
disqualifications as an example of how the Corinthians must not allow themselves to become disqualified. Paul even uses an analogy of a runner in a race, and all who run the race must maintain self-control in all things. So you, you start to see what Paul is saying here. Let's read on. Verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Now, Paul is about to lay out four, quote, evil things that Israel was guilty of. Pay attention and write this down if you have to. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. And as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. So it's believed that it was less than a year since the crossing of the Red Sea. And in Exodus 32, we read that Israel had already began idol worship. Let's, look a, let's take a look at Exodus 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to them, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for, the Mo- as for this Moses... The man who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off your gold rings, which are in in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off their gold rings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God. O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Verse 6, So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. How utterly foolish of them. After everything that they've seen up to this point, they've witnessed the one true God in a, in a fiery cloud that, that brought waves upon waves on their enemies and crushed them and, and, and killed out all the firstborn of their enemies in Egypt, brought them food and water. So you might begin to see Paul's point a little clearer now. An abundance or an overabundance of blessings can blind even those who have witnessed the most miraculous. The last word in both of these texts, play, rose up to play. It has a much deeper meaning than you may think. And it actually leads us right into our next verse in 1 Corinthians. Verse 8 in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 8, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. So the first evil thing was do not be idolaters. Now the second is do not act immorally. See, after they made the golden calf and worshipped it as their new God, they were led into some gross sexual immorality as an entire group which resulted in 3,000 being slain by the Levites 
as God commanded, and 23,000 died by a plague from the Lord Himself because of these acts of immorality. This also happened again. You'd think that, you'd think that Israel would learn the first time. They didn't. Uh, in Numbers, chapter 25, while Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play. There's that word again. The people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to, their sac- to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal and Peor in the Lord, and the, and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. So once again, Moses was commanded to slay those who participated in such immorality and the ones who were not slain were killed by a plague sent from the Lord. A total of 24,000 men died that day. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. So now we have our third sin of Israel, testing the Lord. Here we see the reference to serpents. You can turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapters 21. When the Canaanite, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Athram, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voices, the voice of Israel and d- delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of the place was called Hormah. Then they set out on Mount Hor by, by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they they bit the people so that many of of Israel died. So the people... came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Listen to the entitlement and the ungratefulness and the arrogance of the people of Israel. We loathe this miserable food. Of course, they're talking about the manna that the Lord has been providing for them. And at this this point, if you're like me, you're thinking, God, just do away with them. Like, if they can't see it now, they're never going to see it. But there's more. Verse 10 in 1 Corinthians. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So we have idolatry. We have immorality. We have testing the Lord, and now we have discontentment. Those who were discontent were destroyed 
by the destroyer or literally the destroying angel or the angel of destruction. Apparently, this angel of destruction is the very one who slayed the firstborns of Egypt. Same language was used for him there as in Exodus 12. He opened up the earth to swallow Korah, his entire household and all the belongings, along with sending fire to engulf those who supported his efforts to overthrow Moses as leader in number 16. We're going to read that here, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces. O God, God, the Spirit of all flesh, then when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abram and with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the doorway with their, of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, as if they, they die a natural cause, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they, they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up in their household and all the men who belonged to Korah and with, with their possessions. So they and all the belong, they, that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who was around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So at the beginning of this sermon, I stated that surely no one would, would deny the Lord if He revealed Himself today in the same ways as he once did. But the truth is that they would reject him today just as they did back then. And it wouldn't matter how clear or obvious it was. We're going to stay in 1 Corinthians now, chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written out for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You see, we are not in the time of the promised land. and We are not under the law as they were in that age, but we are in the end of the ages. Our promised land 
is the promise of the new heaven and new earth like I spoke of earlier. And these instructions for the Corinthians are also our instructions. You see, Paul's parallels from the Old Testament to our brothers and sisters in Corinth are the same parallels to the church today. You don't have to turn there because I have a slide for it, but Deuteronomy 6.10-15 through 15 gives us a little more insight into the blessings of God that He had planned for Israel to come. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that, when you, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall, follow, you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. This is the answer to this sermon and these questions. The dangers of overabundance of blessing is that you forget where you came from. You forget who gave you every blessing that you have. And Israel was immeasurably blessed. They were given everything. Yet their abundance of blessings blinded them by their own arrogance and their idolization, not only the idolization of the calf, but their idolization of themselves and their own desires. They forgot where they came from. They forgot where they were. In fact, times they wanted to run back to it because they were thirsty. The Corinthians were no different. From early on in the first Corinthian epistle, we were told that the Corinthians were not lacking in any gift. They had it all. They grew quickly. They had far more wealth than most other churches at the time. And we know that they had the best teachers of the gospel that have ever existed aside from Jesus. They were also immeasurably blessed. And Paul was warning them that that abundance of blessings could lead them to arrogance, which would lead them to sin. It leads to idolatry and immorality and testing of the Lord and discontentment. And is that not the very state that we see ourselves in today as the church and also as the so-called Christian nation? 